Well, hey, I want to tell you about a few conversations I've had um, <laughs> with some of my army friends. Okay, I have some friends in ROTC, so do you. And uh, I asked them about their training, you know, for calling this, this series on prayer um, kind of our secret weapon. I asked, all right, tell me about how you guys get, get ready for using your weapons. And uh, one of the things that was said was, first of all, there's a little creed that they follow. And that creed is um, a soldier at all times, soldiers are in control of their weapons, they're in control of their equipment, and they are in control of themselves. At all times, a soldier is in control of his or her weapons, his or her equipment, and his or her, him or herself. I said, well, that's good. It's kind of cool that the weapons comes first because that's probably the most dangerous thing. Amen. I said, all right, tell me a little more. And they started to unpack it for me and they said, well, the first thing is before we even touch a weapon, we are trained. Before we even get our hands on the weapons that are standard issue, and this is just for the U.S. Army, we are trained. We've talked about it. We've seen videos. We have looked at diagrams and all this. So even by the time we're holding a weapon, we have tons of training. I said, well, thank God, because the worst thing that would happen is if we saw something like this happen. How would it be if we sent to Iraq or Afghanistan um, a picture like this? How, what kind of confidence would we have? Hmm, not so good. Okay? So obviously they're well-trained so that when they get to overseas or whatever they're doing, they can discharge their weapon well. Thank God. <clears throat> so for us too, we have this great weapon, and the weapon is prayer. And I'm not suggesting that if we do prayer wrong, we're, gonna do, you know, we're not going to blow off our foot or anything like that. But with a little training, our prayers can be more effective. With a little training, our prayers can be more effective. Now, last week we looked at the fact that, hey, sometimes what blocks you and me from praying is the, the thought of, hey, do my prayers even matter? And as we looked at the incense, we said, yes, I can smell that, that my prayers matter, okay? There's value to my prayers. Now, today what, what I want to look at is sometimes we are stymied by or we are blocked by the fact that we don't know what to pray. In other words, we don't know how to pray sometimes. We might have a burden in prayer. We want to help someone in prayer but we don't know what to do. Sometimes we lack the vocabulary to pray. And that was the situation that I found myself. I remember it was either during my senior or my super senior year at Baylor. I took four and a half semesters to graduate. That's what happens uh, when you change majors every semester. <laughs> Finally landed with a very useful major of French. Thank you, Jesus. So what that meant was, was that I had three seasons where I was marching in the Baylor University Golden Wave Band. I marched my freshman year, I marched my senior year, I marched my super senior year. And I was a part of the tuba squad. We can get a picture up there. This is not us. This is actually uh, Michigan State. But this is kind of what it looked like for me in the fall of whatever it was, 94, 95. And I went back there because um, I, I just realized I had to say to God, God, I really love marching. Just let me do it. But I was also a man on a mission. I said, God, this is my little, this is my field here. These are the guys that I'm with this fall. And so, um, you know, what, what, you know, how can you use me? And I met a, a guy, and we're going to, for the purpose of this message, we'll call him Steve. And Steve was a freshman in the tuba squad. And by the way, tuba squads have the most fun, except for maybe the drum line. Drum line gets to do whatever they want. But tubas, you know, we get to do a lot of this. We get to run around. We just are kind of different from everyone else in, in a lot of ways. And that's just fun. So, Steve was with me and all this, and I got to know him. And as is typical of Baylor University, there were a lot of people who I would say had grown up in what other people have called churchianity. 
In other words, they've experienced church. They grew up in church. But in my opinion, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, and I don't actually know how Steve would record this, but that have missed kind of the, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. You know, that um, I am passionately in love with him, and I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. That wasn't the vibe that I got from Steve. It was kind of this vague, nebulous, kind of churchy experience. And so I came to this. I said, God, hmm, I, I believe that you want more for Steve. I believe that you want more for him. So what can I do? You know, I would invite him to my small group. You know, we'd kind of get in conversations. You make these long bus rides to Austin or San Antonio or Arkansas, wherever, you know, for the band. We hang out a little bit. But it always felt like I wasn't hitting the mark. It felt like, again, there's this vagueness about his walk with the Lord. And when I went after him, it was like kind of the, it would, my words would bounce off him like a force field was around him. Well, lo and behold, actually just a, a year or so ago, right, by the time, right around the time Jaron was born, Steve sends me an email. And Steve gets caught up with me. He says, hey, just, just found you out, you know, electronically. I've discovered you. And um, what's up? And then I send him an email back because I remember things kind of being vague when we were together concerning his relationship with Christ. I said, hey, things are great, blah, blah. You know, by the way, where are you on the faith slash church spectrum? He writes back and he says, well, if by the faith church spectrum you mean this, let me tell you. He says, the reason I wanted to contact you again was to say thanks for being a faithful waterer in my life all those years ago. And by the way, Steve is now a physician and he's married and in St. Louis. He says, life is a struggle. My wife and I have had three miscarriages over the past six months. And over the past year, I've had four skin cancers removed, and I think I just found a fifth one, which you can do in your physician. But the Lord has convinced me that we are not to confuse happiness with blessing. Listen to how mature this guy is. I'm asking recently to know more deeply how to be content in all circumstances and how his grace is sufficient for me. We're pretty busy at church too. We lead a small group. I'm one of the worship leaders. Whether he worships with tuba, I do not know. As, as I've done in the past. Probably not. He says, I've been nominated for elder training by the congregation. Feels like way too much at times, especially with work and a young marriage, but the Lord has been faithful to sustain us. I find myself really in need of Jesus' time these days, which is a great place to be, needing that time and knowing it. Nowhere to stand but on Christ, and you are a big part of God's work in my life. You know, that's one of those, I have a little folder called encouragement in my email. That went there real quick. I said, thank you, God, you're good. But truth be told, you know, it wasn't like the family I told you about last week, Kenny, where with Kenny, I went after him, you know, in all ways. With this guy, Steve, I mean, I would make my invitations, but really, but the thing I did do, I will say this, is I did pray, and I also did pray in a way that I want to suggest tonight is a way that we can pray together as a body. And that is that we can rest assured by praying the word. Everyone say, pray the word. Amen. Rest assured, pray the word. Say that with me. Rest assured, pray the word. That's what you want to learn to do. Because what I did then was I took one of the scriptures, one of the great prayers of scripture, and I started to pray it over Steve. Although our time together wasn't super fruitful and the natural it seemed, I started to pray for him. And how fun is it for me that 15 years after the fact, I get an email like this, seeing a man who's mature and after God's own heart. And the very prayers that I prayed answered, amen. It's good. 
What about you? Do you find that your prayers are vague? Do you find that you don't know how to... I'm sorry, I'm a little OCD. I'm picking up um, paper clips down here. Do you find that um, at times you don't know what to pray for people? If you're like that, then I have something to help us with tonight. And we're going to look at a prayer in the book of Ephesians. And as you're getting there, I want to let you know about this book. Because it's important to know exactly what we're looking at. We are looking at a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this in 60 AD from prison in Rome. So if we get that map up there, we can see that this letter, although he, a man named Tychicus would have brought this letter from Rome to Ephesus. Tychicus had been in Ephesus at the church that Paul founded seven years before writing this letter. Paul started the church in Ephesus there. That's B, the, the little green dot there. He started that church in about 53 AD. Left it for a year and he came back a year later and spent three years at the church at Ephesus. That's about the life of the harbor. That's the life of this church. That's how long Paul was there. Moved on to other things. Eventually, he's appealing a um, ruling and he's in Rome, imprisoned there. But he's not in a dark, dingy cell. He is allowed to receive visitors. And so one of the visitors he receives is a man named Tychicus from Ephesus who he gets the feedback, hey, here's how the church is going. And Paul is going to send back with Tychicus the letter that we have now in Ephesians. There's not necessarily anything super wrong going on at the church in Ephesus, but just out of his pure affection for them and out of the responding to the news that he gets from Tychicus, he writes this letter. So let's look at Ephesians 1. Let's begin at 15. And we're learning how to rest assured by praying the word. When you and I don't know what to pray, we can go on some of these things and say, Lord, give me some vocabulary to pray. Remember, I want to give a caution here as we look at this. We're not just going for verbiage. It's not your words that are going to make things happen. We talked about that last week, but sometimes we need vocabulary. And honestly, Paul and other writers of Scripture have such, they articulate so well the heart of God for people. It's just great to pray these prayers. So listen to this one. I'm starting in 15. It says, for this reason, Paul is saying, hey, because we're dearly loved and because God's chosen us, for these reasons, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, which, by the way, it's a whole other message that I can't wait to share. God, stop me, help me today. Here we go. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is one of these points. Paul says this kind of thing in a lot of his letters, but here he lets loose and he kind of opens the veil and says, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm praying for you. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know what? The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed him at his right hand in the, seated him, excuse me, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but in the age to come. Now, I, when I first started working, kind of, or being with Steve, I knew that it was a good idea to pray scripture, 
But I got to something like this and I said, this sounds really good, but it also sounds like a lot of religious mumbo jumbo. I need to find out what does this mean? What is Paul praying? He's onto something here. I feel the power when I read it, but what is he talking about? So what I'd like to do tonight is just unpack a little bit of Paul's heart. One of the things that he prayed. So let's start. Let's look at verse 17. What is he praying? He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations that you may know him better. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. And right there, you need to know that what's kind of implied in the language there is that not just is the Father glorious and he's way out here, but this Father of glory wants to bestow glory on other people. He's a glorious Father and he is wanting to bestow glory on others. And what does he ask for? He says, I want God to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What, what Paul is praying is, hey, what you guys need isn't what you're going to get through your five senses. What you need isn't going to come by taste, hear, smell, touch, or sight. What you need is a revelation, something that happens on the inside. Like what happened to our friend. Maybe you know the prodigal son story in Luke 15, Right? The prodigal son, when he had wasted his father's inheritance on loose living, on prostitutes, the Bible says that he came to himself. Or as NIV or ESV and other translations say, they say he came to his senses. In other words, he had an aha moment about where he was. And so when we pray for people, we want to pray, hey, I can't seem to get through to Steve about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is and, and how, hey, if Steve would totally give his life to Christ, it would be a lot better than living this churchianity thing. But God needs to give him revelation. So I start to pray, Lord, will you give Steve a spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom, intelligence in multiple areas, and revelation, pulling back the veil so he sees Jesus for who he is. That's what we pray. We pray, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation because that's what we need. We need to see things as they really are. And what does he pray that they get a spirit of wisdom and revelation for? Because there's a lot of things that he could ask them for for which he could ask a spirit of wisdom revelation. Because we look at Acts 19, we look at the period when Paul was in Ephesus, and uh, there's a lot of crazy things that went on there. So Paul could pray a lot of things. He says, he could pray, hey, I pray that you get a spirit of wisdom, wisdom revelation so that you can politically outmaneuver those Artemis guys, right? Ephesus is the home to this uh, god Artemis, and they've they're not too excited about people becoming believers because as they become believers, they draw some of the economic, uh, there's a guy named Demetrius in Ephesus who got, he was the head of all the silversmiths who uh, I guess they made little Artemis gods. And so when people turn to Christ, they don't need Artemis gods. Demetrius loses money. Mm. So Paul could pray, hey, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, um, you know, so that you guys uh, can handle those Artemis followers. He could pray, hey, I want to give you, Lord, I, I pray that these guys get a spirit of wisdom revelation so that like me, when I was there, these guys can anoint handkerchiefs and handkerchiefs can go to other people and people get healed. Isn't that crazy? When Paul was there, a handkerchief that he touched in his absence was brought to someone else and they were healed. Paul could pray that for them. That would have been kind of fun. Paul could have prayed, hey, I pray that you guys get a spirit of wisdom revelation so that we can have more scroll burning parties. That also happened in Ephesus. There were a bunch of sorcerers who repented. And because they repented, they took their sacred kind of demonic whatever texts, they brought them to the middle of town and they burned them and said, we're done with this sorcery stuff. We're gonna follow Jesus. But of all those things, does Paul pray that they have a spirit of wisdom revelation so that those things can happen? No. 
He prays, I pray, that you get a spirit of wisdom revelation so that what? So that you can know him better. If you don't know what else to pray for someone, you start there and you, you pray for intimacy. Everyone say intimacy. I pray that you guys would get more intimate with God, that you'd get more intimate with Jesus. You'd get more intimate with the Holy Spirit and that's his prayer. That's the foundation. Doesn't everything else flow from that? I loved it when Steve in his email said to me, I find myself really in need of Jesus time these days, which is a great place to be, needing that time and knowing I need it. Steve realizes what he needs is to know Jesus better. That makes me glad. That's a different man than 15 years ago when we were doing our eight, eight steps in five yards and marching up the 50-yard line and making a Baylor spell out and all that stuff. He's different. That's a great place to, to start. If we don't know what to pray, we pray, oh God, give this person a spirit of wisdom revelation and the knowledge of Jesus to know him better. What else? What does he pray after that? He says, I pray also, this is verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Again, revelatory you know, he's talking about, we need revelation here. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. What a beautiful picture. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. To know the hope to which he has called you. Everyone say hope. hope. To know the hope to which he has called you. The hope of his calling, as it says literally, the hope of his calling. Listen, we all need hope, right? Who's not discouraged here? We need hope. From time to time. Sorry, I don't want to put something on that you're not. Don't be discouraged. From time to time we get discouraged. Life is hard. Hope, the hope of his calling. Do you know one of the things that lifts us out of our despair, that lifts us out of our discouragement is knowing that we are part of a bigger story. Right? That's the hope of his calling. The fact that you and I, there's something bigger than just you going on in the earth. That's usually what we need to hear. Yes, God cares about my trial and my pain. Yes, he cares about yours. And in case we're confused on that, we look only to look at the cross or celebrate communion like we will tonight to remember that Jesus cares about my pain and yours. But if all I'm doing is being stuck in my pain and my, my deal all the time, and I miss the fact that it's not just me and God trying to do this thing, but that I'm part of a much bigger story, I won't have the hope that God has made for me to have. Things can be tough, but when we realize that there's something bigger than just you or me going on, we get hope. You know, for Steve, there's been a transformation. As I knew him as a freshman, it was the big concerns of any freshman in college. Who are my friends going to be? Who should I date? What should I study? Kind of cool that he ended up with, he's an MD now. Chose pretty well. But, if Steve, if his hope was only, you know, what's my career, who am I going to date, and, you know, this is me, 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 he's missed something greater. He's missed the hope of God's calling. But as I read that email, I say, here's a guy who knows there's a hope in the calling of God, of God's calling him. We need to know the hope of his calling. We need to know there's a bigger story going on. Kelsey and I just had a great little weekend dog sitting at her parents house my in-laws 
And, um, you know, for me, I, I, um, since we have a son who's really energetic, and I'm, it's going to be incredible how energetic he becomes, like I used to be, like whenever, you know, when we'd have time off, I'd be like, hey, let's go parasailing. You know, let's do something. Amazing. But now that there's someone else more energetic in our family than me, for me, when we have a weekend like that, I just go, God, what sounds really good to me is like watching um, cable TV for like long periods of time. <laughs> sounds exciting to me. So I was able to do some of that. And of course, I just land on the military channel. That's just who I am. I'm like, yes, let me watch three hours of military channel, undisturbed, which I was able to do. Thank you, God. Jonathan agrees. And so what was on yesterday was World War II. Uh, surprise, surprise. World War II, um, they called it, um, what was it called? The color, color of World War II, something like that. And what they've done is they've taken excerpts of people's written letters and things, and they just kind of color out kind of some of the big events that we know. So, of course, take the biggest event of all, D-Day, and uh, they're excerpting some of the letters. And what's so kind of, well, convicting and to the point is, you know, the letters would be things like, you know, so the Allied forces are gathering in England. They know that time is imminent where they're about to embark on the largest amphibious operation ever launched in humankind. And the war is kind of resting on this. But the letters were things like, I'm scared to death but I know that this matters. You know, the, the language you'd get from some of these letters is, I am, you know, I may not see tomorrow as we go to Normandy, you know, sometime in the next week or so, but I know that uh, this cause matters. And of course, as history has told us, that was the beginning of the end for Hitler. When the Allies were able to establish a beachhead on Normandy, a few months later, Paris would be liberated by the Allies. And boom, the thing just marched on from then. That was the turning point. My point is, these guys had a hope. What, 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 what enabled thousands of people to go to this kind of battle was knowing that they were about to do the decisive blow into Hitler's evil regime. And there's nothing more powerful I can say on earth, I mean, except for kingdom of God things, there's really nothing more powerful than I've, I visited the cemetery in Normandy three times now. And every time I visit, I just, I just get emotional. I mean, I just think, you look at row after row of cross and star of David, you just go, oh my goodness, what was in these 18-year-olds, these 20-year-olds that they were able to make this kind of sacrifice? Well, what was in them was they had a hope of a calling. Now, whether it was God's calling or not, that's God to judge, but there was a calling that was bigger than themselves and they were willing to give themselves for it. So we need it. Everyone say hope. All right, so you can pray for people. You pray intimacy with Jesus. You pray, give them a hope that comes from knowing that they're part of something bigger. It's not just their own stuff. Next, what else can we pray? Let's see. Hmm, let's keep going. 18b, okay, so I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is the one that always confused me the most. I was like, what is going on here? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of God's inheritance in the saints. Paul prays that these guys in Ephesus would know that God has an inheritance in them. In other words, he's praying value. Everyone say value. He's praying that they would know how valuable they are to God. Now last week we talked about the fact that our prayers were valuable. Well, I've got good news for you. Not just your prayers matter, but you matter to God. You are valued by Him. And honestly, as YWAM is so great at teaching, actually a great YWAM teacher, John Dawson, was in LA. I'm not sure where he is now, but one of the kind of seminal teachings of YWAM and thus one of the seminal teachings in our training school 
is the father heart of God. And the basis of that teaching is this, that the number one thing we need, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a, a leader in the church, your number one prerequisite, it's not your study of the word, it's not your seminary degree, it's not going through the Navigate Training School, it's not X, Y, or Z, but what it is is knowing that God loves you and being secure in God's love. That's the number one prerequisite for leading in the church is knowing that God loves you. Knowing that you're valued. Because otherwise, things come out weird, right? You, you, you either um, try to be too controlling or you're too passive or whatnot. But we want to pray, but Paul's saying we can pray value. That, that um, people would know that they're valued by God. Now this is incredible when you think about it, right? The Psalms say that um, God has made us a little lower than the angels, even though we're just dust, right? So God could have been like, hey, I can't wait till history wraps up and I'm gonna chill with the stars and the moon and the sun and we're just gonna have a great time. That's not what God says. God says, as history is consummated, I can't wait to chill with my people. Right? I have a glorious inheritance in the moon, in the stars, sure, and this and that and the other, but I have a glorious inheritance in the saints. That's you and me. Will you just turn to your neighbor and say, you're a saint? You may not feel like it. Maybe you're feeling a little bit unholy right now, but God looks at you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint, and God's inheritance is in you, Okay. Did you ever have those moments growing up? Like for me, it happened, these little windows of time, junior high, high school, even college. And I would realize, hey, wow. Because uh, here's what I think. I would think that my teachers, my parents, you know, my pastors, everything, I would think that they never thought about me. Like I'm just alone in my little world. I'm totally isolated and no one cares and woe is me and kind of typical kind of junior high self-pity trip. But in reality, the opposite was true. You get those windows when you realize my parents talk about me all the time. My teachers are talking about me, not me alone, but me all the time. Right? Because let me tell you, it's happening now for me. As a teacher, when I taught school, what was my joy? Yes, it was my joy that someone could conjugate this verb in the conditional. Praise God. But my joy would be more that Johnny can conjugate this verb in the congregational. Praise God. You know, as a person. As a parent, Kelsey and I, what's our joy? What's one of the th things we talk about every day? What's Jaron doing today? What's he saying today? Isn't that amazing? We talk about him. As a pastor, I can tell you Mondays in our staff meetings, just look around. We talk about you, okay? By name. You might be sitting here thinking that I don't know who you are. I do know who you are, most likely, and I talk about you. Now listen, we have a little rule in our staff meetings and in our leadership. We can call foul and that we don't speak badly about you. If I speak badly about you, one of the staff people can say, foul ball, Neil, you can't talk about someone like that behind their back. And I say, thank you. So we're talking a lot of good things about you because all the other stuff isn't allowed. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, are, are you getting the picture, right? My delight is you. My delight is you. God's delight is us. His glorious inheritance in the saints, his riches is you and me. It's what he rejoices in. We are created in his image. So we need to pray that over each other because again, why do most people veer off and do crazy things as far as you know, not, not completing well their walk with the Lord? It's because somewhere in there, they might have missed that they were valuable to God. So we pray that, okay? Everyone say intimacy. Everyone say hope. Everyone say value. Okay, these are the things we pray 
for people. We don't know what to pray. And let's continue. The last one's good. So I'm going to start back at 18. I pray also the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Everyone say power. Now, as if that wasn't enough, Paul explains this power. He says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Well, what does it look like? Ooh, it looks like this, verse 20. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I pray that you and me would know resurrection power because don't you know we need it, right? Going back to your pain or your trial or your issue, you need resurrection power. The Ephesians, when Paul was writing, they needed resurrection power. They had to access it. They had this whole, this whole crew of Artemis folks after them. And then, that's Acts 19, in, Re- in Revelation chapter 2, which we touched on briefly last week, we get another window into the church at Ephesus and why they might have needed some resurrection power. Well, one of the reasons they needed resurrection power is because this group called the Nicolaitans, right? They were kind of like other um, people who were kind of going off the deep end with the Christian faith in that they were very indulgent. In other words, they used the grace thing to take license for their flesh. Right? They said, oh, awesome, I'm forgiven. Well, let me just sleep around with a few people. I'm gonna be forgiven anyways, you know? What's the big deal? Let me just do this. Let me give full license to my sinful nature. And the church at Ephesus had to deal with that. So they needed resurrection power to know how to deal best with people as they were going off that deep end. And some of you might be really familiar with this verse in in Revelation 2, but Jesus' real admonition to them was, hey, you guys have forgotten your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. You've forgotten your first love. That was Jesus' word to the church at Ephesus. And to come back to our first love, we need resurrection power, right? I can't love God on my own. I need the resurrection of power of Christ to be at work in me so I can love Him aright. We need the resurrection power of Jesus. Listen again, Steve, in his email to me, what was one of the first things he said? He said, life is a struggle. And then he listed those struggles. Three miscarriages in six months. Now, help me with my biology, but I'm pretty sure that's about as fast as you can try and then try again and find out it didn't work. Six months, three miscarriages. They need resurrection power in that womb. Five incidences of skin cancer. He needs resurrection power, right? He needs power. We need the power of God to see healing happen. He's, he's, he's an MD. I mean, he's, he's, seeing, he's, he's a physician. He's just working. I'm sure he's not an unbusy guy. He's got a new wife. He's got leadership in the church. If he's going to do his duties well at church, he needs to tap into resurrection power. Don't you know it? And you do too, and I do too. So that's what we pray. Oh God, let us tap into resurrection power. I need resurrection power so like Brian, I can share the gospel with people and love them and pray for them, right? Our ladies, I just want you to be encouraged. There's a core of us men who are getting after it with the whole sexual addiction piece, okay? Men here are getting free from pornography and they're getting free from sexual addiction. But let me tell you, if all we had was behavior modification, we'd be in trouble. We have that, but we also have the resurrection power of Christ to transform us from the inside out because otherwise we're toast. Okay, we need resurrection power. You need it too. What's your issue? What's your pet thing? 
I guarantee you that the answer is in the resurrection power of Christ that we will celebrate at communion here. And it will not be an empty ceremony. It will be filled with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We need that power. You need that power. We all need it. Okay, so we rest assured, pray the word. Everyone say that. Rest assured, pray the word. Amen. That's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to put up there on the um, overhead, there's a list of other places where Paul says very specific prayers, okay? So we just looked at this one in Ephesians. And actually, there are tons more places where Paul prays. But if you, like me, are hungry for an arsenal of things I can pray, because sometimes at 6 in the morning, I can't even think. But I need an arsenal of things I can pray. So sometimes I just have to get this out in front of me and say, oh, yeah, okay. Lord, thanks for, you know, thanks for... Bob, I pray, Jesus, give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation so he can know you better, you know? God, let the eyes of his heart be enlightened so he can know the hope to which you've called him, the riches of his glorious inheritance in you or your glorious inheritance in him. And Lord, let him know what power he has. Simple prayer like that. You know from last week that that little prayer is going to matter. But when you have the word of God, it's awesome. Here's some great ones. So here's what I want you to do. I know some of you are busy writing those down. That's great. The thing I want you to do is Last week, we waited on the Lord. We said, Lord, give us a prayer focus. Knowing that our prayers matter, God, for a season now, who do you want me to pray for? What issue or group of people, you know, whether it's the country of Libya or your next door neighbor or maybe now it's Japan, we waited on the Lord for a prayer focus. What I want you to do this week is I want you to find a scripture. If it's one of these, or it doesn't have to be an explicit prayer. You know, one thing that I've been praying both for my marriage and actually for this church has come largely out of Jeremiah 33. And I'll let you look at it another time. But there's a bunch of things from Jeremiah 33 that I just, thank you, Lord. I'm praying this scripture over my marriage and also in another section over our church. You find a scripture and you start to pray. You just watch what God will do because you can rest assured when you pray the word. I want to end with this little quote. And um, <clears throat> some of you know Charles H. Spurgeon was an incredible, fiery, Holy Ghost preacher. John and I were texting back and forth before the service, and I said, John, here's what I'm believing for today. I'm believing for a Holy Ghost freight train to park and land at church tonight. Hope that's okay. Have a little Holy Ghost freight train come by the Emanuel Depot tonight. I just talk like that sometimes before service, just to psych myself up. <clears throat> Anyways, but here's a Holy Ghost man, Charles H. Spurgeon. And uh, first little story about him. He, um, there, there are some college-age kind of kids who are coming to his church. They were from kind of the country, England, and he, his church is in London. And so they were coming there. And uh, they're so excited to get there. You know, it's July, and they get there. And they're greeted by an old man at the door. And the old man says, hey, um, before you come in, I just want to show you the heating room. I want to show you the furnace. And they're like, they're just excited to be there. So they're like, we'll just humor the old man. Okay. So they go down the stairs, the old man. They get into the basement. What do they see? They see a room of 700 people praying before the service in the basement of this church for the thousands that will come shortly thereafter. That's the kind of guy Charles H. Spurgeon was. And that was Charles H. Spurgeon who, who was the old man showing them, hey, let me show you the furnace room in the middle of July. All right, Spurgeon said this. I want you to catch this. He said, there is no need for us to go beating about the bush and not telling the Lord distinctly what it is that we crave at his hands. I want to pause there and say my problem in prayer often has been I don't even know what to ask sometimes. That's why I need the vocabulary of Scripture to help me or to get me started. Back to Spurgeon. Nor will it be seemly for us to make any attempt to use fine language. 
okay? Or as one intercessor said, she said, it doesn't matter what you pray, it just matters that you pray. So don't be uptight about your language. Back to Spurgeon. He says, but let us ask God in the simplest and most direct manner for just the things we want. I believe in business prayers. I mean prayers in which you take to God one of the many promises which he has given us in his word and expect it to be fulfilled as certainly as we look for the money to be given us when we go to the bank to cash a check. Maybe not the best analogy in this economic climate, but nonetheless, usually when we go to the bank, we expect we can get cash and we cash it. He's saying take to God the promise from the word and bank on it. Amen? Rest assured, pray the word. Watch what God will do. Jesus said it this way, right? John 15, he said he was giving his last, actually the very thing we're about to celebrate with communion, it was in that time where he said this. He said, um, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. And I think that God is looking for a church that will start to take Jesus on this promise and start to pray in such a way that we expect him to do these things. Amen? Amen. So you hook on to your kind of favorite scripture there. You start praying it after certain people. Your prayers matter to God and watch what God will do. Amen. <clears throat> One of the worship team come on up and uh, let's have those who are serving communion come on up. <clears throat> and as they're doing that, I'm just going to pray and then we'll remember what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we are asking right now um, for what the Bible calls a spirit of grace and supplication. We just ask for it, Lord, as children. We ask for the spirit of grace and supplication. That is the ability to kind of grab onto the feet of the throne of God and say, God, we're not going to let go until we see these things come to happen. God, we're praying for our church that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. We pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so we could know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us, the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. We should receive these things by faith and I pray that you teach us to be a people who pray these things and other prayers you put in scripture for our friends. Change us, Lord. And I pray that all of us would have many Steves in our lives where people will say, hey, thank you for being a waterer. Thank you for influencing me for the kingdom. And we just acknowledge, God, that our influence is, begins in the prayer room. The power of our influence starts in the, in the closet, you know, behind the closed doors. Oh, Lord, motivate us afresh again. I pray this wouldn't be a heavy yoke on us, but let it be a life-giving thing that sets us free to pray with great faith, hope, and expectation. We don't receive a heavy yoke. We receive the light and easy yoke of Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. So we remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We also remember that after the supper, it says that he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This cup is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Do this also in remembrance of me. I'd invite you to stand now and we're going to pray a prayer together that you'll see on the screen in response to what Jesus has done for us. Will you read this with me and pray this with me now? And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving 
as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.